You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Before we uh, finish the You Asked For It series, I just wanted to um, uh, direct our attention to next week being a completely different service structure. Starting next week, September 12th, we will be going to one service, which we are truly excited about. Um, we, we really do believe that in the times we are living, it is more and more and more important to come together as a family and not be so disconnected and scattered. And uh, we understand that that may uh, put a ceiling for a time on how, how far we've grown, but I have to be honest with you, the Lord has spoken very clearly to me and the elders and the staff. Uh, He literally stopped me in my tracks when I was walking uh, in the sanctuary and said, son, you need to go back to one service. I'm calling you to come together. Let me tell you why, just just to be transparent with you all of kind of what has perspired um, throughout the last year, two years. So before COVID was ever a thought in our minds. The elders and staff had gotten together and we were talking about possibly going to two services to help make space to grow. And uh, we had tried that in years past. And honestly, it just in in this area or for some reason or another, uh, going to two services and making more space for people just wasn't necessarily working. And um, not to say that's the reason why we didn't do it. Obviously, we sought the Lord, uh, but we decided that we're gonna take our capacity limitations for our fire code, and we're gonna see how we can consistently get to about 80% of that capacity before we were to go to two services. So for instance, there's 300 capacity in here, about 125 now that we've renovated some other spaces in the kids area. So we said, you know what? When we start to grow to about 300 to 350 consistently, kids and adults, we would consider going to two services because we'd have the critical mass to do both services to where one service is not gonna just be empty and the other one completely full because that would defeat the purpose, right? So we decided that that's what we were going to do. And then COVID came along. Messed up our plans. (laughs) And... uh, how many of you know that, uh, you know, uh, Proverbs 16 is so true. A man may make his plans in his heart, but God guides his footsteps. I truly believe that. And so we decided that for the best of the safety, especially with knowing, not knowing what we know now, we wanted to take the path of least regret. We just, we just believe that that is wise. And we wanted to take the path of least regret. So we... Um, We moved into a tent for the summer. We renovated this area, and then we moved back in August 23rd. So it's been a year since we've been inside. We decided to go to two services to give people more space, but also to let people know that we wanna love them right where they're at. So some people were more cautious and sensitive because of higher risk or or just higher concern, and that was okay. We didn't wanna surround them in one service and make them feel like they didn't belong. And so that's why we did two services. And then about three months ago, I announced to everybody because 
several people were asking, well, when are we gonna stop doing two services? And I decided to, my plan and my thought was, hey, we're gonna keep two services because obviously we need to grow and get more people to come in and, and hear the gospel message. So I said, we're gonna continue with two services. And that's when God said, oh, really? And I talked, I remembered our decision as elders. And me being the lead pastor, I am one of the elders but I went back to the elders and I actually confessed. I, I asked for their forgiveness. I said, you know what? The only reason we went to two services was because of COVID protocol. And now that that COVID protocol has decreased, we need to go back to one service because that's what the elders decided and what they sensed the wisdom behind that. So. When we grow here, I really believe that uh, God's gonna do amazing things when we all come together. If you were at the kingdom gathering, you will understand what I'm saying from that Monday night. There is power in believers of numbers coming together and worshiping together and connecting. I really miss the one service of people engaging before and after to where we have to kick them out after an hour of the service. I miss that because fellowship is as important as worship and the teaching of the word. Amen? And so often we are so busy as Americans, as people in the culture, that we don't connect with any Christians going through the week. So Sunday is so much more important to connect with the life source of other Christians. And so that's why we're doing this. I just wanna be very clear with that. So when we get to a point where we are 80% of our capacity out here, and in the kids, we will, um, we will go to the Lord and seek uh, possible plans of expanding the sanctuary and uh, making room for more seats. But all I can tell you is when we get to that point, we will continue to process and uh, we're willing to flex. I'm even willing to say, you know what, I was wrong. And uh, we're gonna go this direction. But as, as for now, we're gonna go to one service. I'm really excited for it. So. One plea we need to make, and Michael did a great job last week, but we need, if you regularly attend or you come maybe twice a month, we would like to ask every single regular attender or someone who says, hey, my home is Elevation Church. We would encourage you to get connected to where you serve once a month. I think that's, I've been in soccer and, and football sports. Believe me, that is not much of an ask, okay? And so what we're, it's not even an ask to fill spots. It actually is to equip you for ministry to serve the body of Christ. If you don't serve the body of Christ, you will not grow. What? Yeah. Now there's seasons for you to rest. There's seasons for you to receive, but there's also seasons for you to give to the body. And so we need to pretty much double all of our volunteers from our greeters to uh, our cafe. We would like to uh, create a role called the ushers that helps people because we're gonna have more, less seats available and we're gonna need people to kindly usher people and then even tell our, you know, our regular attenders, hey, move on in kind of thing and make room for our guests. So we're gonna need more help. Another area we don't talk about a lot, but guys, we are in desperate need of adding more people to our tech team, okay? Um, we need sound, lights, PowerPoint, and even anyone can move a camera, okay? Just like that. Uh, and the team is amazing. So we just need 
more people to connect and serve the body wherever you feel is the best fit. So we're gonna do a sign-up sheet uh, next week. But if you know you would like to connect, simply go to a leader, go to Michael about eKids, come to me for, uh, for Tech Team or for Brent. Uh, you can even go um, uh, to the guest kiosk and get information there. I think I covered everything. Great. We'll have our live stream available for those who can't be here at 10 a.m. So by the way, can we just say hello and love on people from our church who are live streaming us from different parts in the country? Can we, can we welcome them? You all are a little quiet for Labor Day weekend. All right, so we're gonna start the You Asked For It series. Uh, we are answering only 10 questions of about 30 or 40 questions that came in. And so once uh, Pastor Daniel, who we love de dearly, uh, once he recovers and gets better, uh, we are gonna get together during the week and we're gonna do a podcast answering as many of the other questions as we possibly can. But for the sake of time, it's Labor Day weekend. And these are, all four of them are loaded questions. So as I answer these questions, I'm gonna create way more questions in your mind. So you're welcome. Um, so question number one, let's just get started. Father, just lead us and uh, let my words be yours and give me the heart of Christ and open our ears so that we would listen and be transformed by your presence, in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't Christians or churches take a stand in politics? That's a good question. There should be a question mark there. Topics like abortion and civil duty should be important. Absolutely, they should. Everyone just wants to say, and I would say, no, not everyone, um, but that's just me picking apart the question. So uh, absolutes, we use all. How, how many times do your kids say, you never do that? Or you always do that, right? Absolutes. Let's, let's just be real. Not all churches, not everyone just wants to say, give Caesar uh, to Caesar what is Caesar's. We are supposed to be upstanding citizens, absolutely. But the world is falling apart and so is so sinful, absolutely. And it was falling apart ever since man fell. Not saying that, but that's why Jesus came. And even after Jesus came, the world was sinful and falling apart. Just objection. Okay, just being objective. Um, and I, again, whoever's asked this question, I, I'm, I'm not really, I, I'm not pushing against you at all. I'm just trying to give you an understanding and a perspective uh, that might be a little more uh, objective. Uh, shouldn't we have a backbone on things? Yes, Jesus had a backbone. But guys, Jesus didn't address everything. Very little did he address government and political issues. Very little. What he did address was the great commission and loving people. And the greatest commandment of all, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your brother and your sister and your neighbor as I have loved you. That's what Jesus focused on. Not saying that that's not important, I just wanna give you a perspective. So what I'm going to do in answering this question, I'm gonna give you two things. Number one, what we do as a church. And I can only speak as Elevation Community Church because every other church is different and every set of leaders are responsible to make godly decisions led by the Holy Spirit. Whether they do that or not is between them and God. But I will tell you this, and I'm getting fired up because this is so important. I have never said this before. 
ever, it matters what church you go to. It matters what church you go to. Why do you say that, Pastor Phil? Isn't every church a godly church? No, it's not. Have you looked around? It's not. And I'm not trying to be judgmental or or condemning. Yes, there's different flavors for every ice cream flavor that you would like in, in Christianity. And biblically grounded churches that have different styles of church that you can connect to. And even doctrine that you can really sink your feet into. I'm not talking about the biblically grounded churches. I'm talking about those that will just say what pleases the culture, saying what everyone wants to hear. Because honestly, that's going against the design of the church. The design of the church was to say biblical grounded principles, no matter if you like to hear it or not. No matter you agree with it or not, the truth is truth. And so we've gotten into this political pressure that we're just supposed to, in order to grow our church, we just need to avoid the issues that are going to cause division. I'll speak to that in a moment. So what we do and what we will not do. What we do and what we will not do. Number one is what we will do. We do and we will continue to talk about much of the political items that support or oppose the biblical worldview. That is the worldview that we are supposed to uphold and live out consistently. We will take a stance for pro-life. Abortion is wrong. Abortion is not godly. But abortion is also something that doesn't just knock you into hell. Okay? There's many people, even in our midst and watching, that have made the decision at one point in their past, through broken situations, through um, not even being a believer or their current circumstances, and we are not to judge. We're not to judge. We're to love. Okay? God redeems the broken. But we as a church, we need to stand upon the foundation that God created all life, even in the womb, and it's supposed to be honored. And yet we live in a system that just wants to guard and protect the lives of plants and rocks is still God's creation. But God's closest, most valuable creation is when he created man and woman in his image. And all of that is to be sacred. But let us be careful when we answer and talk about those things, not to be insensitive to others who have a different story than you do and are pursuing God just as you are. We will talk about helping people, welfare. We will talk about if the political realm won't do it, then the church is supposed to. And honestly, I would say the church is supposed to and the government is to support, right? But we haven't done that. So it's time to get it back together. Helping people. It's a biblical, political view here. We are to love one another despite their background, beliefs, and color of their skin, period. We're to love each other. We are also called to show compassion and care for the orphans and the widows. That's the church's job, by the way, not the government's. It is. 
We are also to take a stand for religious freedom, amen? That was really bad. We are to stand for religious freedom, amen? And I'll tell you why we say amen is for the men and women who are standing, and, or excuse me, sitting. Actually, men and women who have served in the military forces stand right now, stand right now. You don't have to applaud. Look, look all around you, everybody. This is who has sacrificed much and have walked with brothers and sisters. Stay standing. Who have walked with brothers and sisters who did not make it home. Why did they fight? For freedom that so many other countries don't have. We need to preserve what so many have lost their lives for and so many sacrificed much. You may be seated. Thank you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. No, are we supposed to be a doormat and just say, no, we just surrender all our rights because we're Christian. No, when and if that day comes like Afghanistan, what's happening? Yeah, we're Christian and our life is on the line and I am not turning back. I will not deny the name of Jesus. If it causes my, my kids to die, my wife to die, Lord forbid, but Jesus is more important than all of that because I will face him someday. And he saved me and rescued me. But while we have fought for that freedom, we better be darn certain that we as a church are going to take a stand and to protect and preserve that freedom that was bought for us. Now, with that being said, we also are going to to face many different situations as Christians where authorities, government or other authorities are going to make things a demand or mandatory. And the Bible is very clear that you as a Christian, a fellow believer, you indwell the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians, it just means it just says that you are a holy temple. And I'm gonna answer that in the next question. But you embody the Holy Spirit. Your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And no man or woman or government should be able to force you to do something to your body that you know is against the Holy Spirit. Now, friends... I am not saying I'm for vaccination or I'm against. That's actually one of the things I will not do up here. That's why I say that is because everyone is in different situations. It's not necessarily, not necessarily a biblical kingdom essential. What is the biblical kingdom essential is you are the holy temple of the Holy Spirit. And you should be able to decide at all times what goes in your body. Now, I'd like to step on your toes because for those, even if you've been vaccinated, I think most people will say, hey, we should have our freedom to get vaccinated or unvaccinated. Don't touch my body if I don't want you to. And if I go into the pharmacy, if I go to get the, the, the vaccination, then that's my choice. However, if you are a Christian, you better start looking in the mirror 
of everything that you put in your body in other situations. If you're gonna fight one political agenda of what goes in your body, then you better fight of what kind of substances you put in your body that are just as toxic and just as worldly. When you're tired and bored and lonely, what do you put in your body? Friends, we need as Christians to be consistent because if we say we believed in this one thing and we fight to the death for this policy and yet we're on our phones and our media and social media and we don't care what goes into our body, we're hypocrites. And we're inconsistent and our witness to the Lord is flawed and it will fall on deaf ears. I'm not saying perfection. We will never be perfect until we see Jesus face to face. But he has called us to conform us through the Holy Spirit to the image of Jesus Christ. That includes everything we put in our body. That includes the things your children are watching. You're fighting against a policy and a political thing of the government saying it's mandated for many people, but yet you're letting your kids watch just anything they want. We like to go to the Christian buffet, don't we? We like to choose what we want, and then we're going to forbid and and resist or, or say no thank you to the things we don't want. All I'm saying on both sides is we as Christians are called to a higher standard, and we are called to live out as consistently as we can our beliefs, not just pick and choose what's important to us, and what we don't care about. Does that answer your question? Okay, good. Talk to me afterwards. This is why for years and centuries, the church has been labeled hypocrites. And I understand that it's a general statement and that's unfair. God is not a hypocrite. But again, it goes to the sense of urgency for us to be consistent in our values and in our actions that reflect Christ. What we won't do, what we won't do is we will not tell you how you should vote. That's your job and that's between you and the Holy Spirit. That is a God-given man and woman sacrificed right that we have in America. Now we will give you biblical principles, the last election, we went on a kingdom voting series and we told you, showed you biblical principles to help you vote accordingly to the kingdom of God. But I'm gonna say this, and this may rub some of you the wrong way, but I believe it's true. And I would love to be proven wrong. But you look at the right and the left And there are many things that the right do and the left do that are biblically right, that are biblically accurate. One party may be more than the other. I don't know. That's for you to decide. But there are also things that the right do and the left do that are biblically wrong. And those politicians need to hear from the church. And we will talk about them. I will not shy away from biblical foundational truth. However, we will also not focus or even really discuss corporately 
the things that we deem as non-essential to the kingdom of God. There are a lot of political stuff that have nothing to do with our kingdom agenda. I'm not gonna get caught up in non-essentials, friends. Our time is too short to get distracted from our focus on Jesus and advancing the kingdom and bringing the lost to Jesus. What non-essential talks do in church is it causes division. And so often it takes us off focus from what really matters. Yes, it may be important, but it still is non-essential to the kingdom of God and our purpose as a church. So yes, we will not shy away from addressing major political and current event issues in order to align everyone in the body of Christ to the purposes and the actions of the kingdom of God. Question two. Did I do all right? Took me 15 minutes to answer one question. We're in for trouble. Question two. Why are there no longer holy places like temples in the Ark of the Covenant? That is a fantastic question. I don't think I've ever really thought about that much in my Christian walk. And I think to answer this question, we need to give a question. Okay, if there were holy places, what made them holy? And if they were holy, why are they not holy now? We gotta ask that, right? And so let's look from the moment that God called Abraham and then Abraham had a son, Isaac, and through Isaac, we see the tribes of Israel and we then see Moses, right? We see Moses. Why in the world did God through a burning bush could have picked anything in the world and decide to to pick a bush and catch it on fire? Why would he say, take off your shoes, take off your sandals, for this ground is holy? What makes the ground holy? Thank you. His presence. Wherever God is, it's holy. He never changes. He is holy. So because Adam and Eve cursed the world through their sin, we are all stained with the sin nature. We sin because by nature we are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. And deserve the penalty of our sin, which is death, separation from God. So God, how loving and merciful and what an amazing God he is. The purpose he created man and woman was to be with them, that they would reflect his likeness and be fruitful and multiply and the kingdom of God would continually to be advanced on the earth. Are you with me? But the problem is, is we are all sinners. In the Old Testament, when Jesus hadn't physically come in the flesh. Now he did before the foundations of the world, so it was already in place. If you wanna know about what happens to those people before Christ, right, before Christ came. Well, before the foundations of the world, Jesus was crucified. So we can talk about that another day at Ghost and Grind or Roasted Coffee and love to talk to you about that. Um, Now, where was I? So we had a sin problem and we still have a sin problem and God's presence will not tolerate to be in any presence of sin. He can't, he's holy, he's holy. So he had a great idea. God said, Moses, 
take your interpreter, Aaron, and all of his sons from the, uh, the tribe of Levi. You will be priest, and one of you will be the most high, high, or the high priest, excuse me, which was Aaron at that point, and then he passed it on to the next and the next and the next. All the way from the line in Abraham's day of the high priest, Melchizedek. And so this high priest thing is really important to remember because the high priest is the one that goes into the holy place on behalf of all people to make an atonement for all people so that God will stay with his presence in the area of people. That's really important. And that's why we get to the answer in just a moment of why the holy places, buildings, and monuments are no longer holy. They're sacred, but they're no longer holy. What does holy mean? It means set apart. Set apart for God. Set apart for God's purposes, okay? So I know this is a long explanation, but it's really important to get here. So in the temple, in Moses' day, they, they, God designed the temple to be a model to how we will approach God once Jesus comes and saves us from our sins and makes us new creation and filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? So keep that in mind as well. It's a model. The tabernacle is a model of how we approach God today, how we worship God today, the posture of our hearts to God today. So in the tabernacle, there was a most holy place where no one went all year long. No one went except one time a month. No, one time a year. The high priest would go in and make an atonement for the sacrifice of sins of the people. And God would bless their land and bless the people, okay? This went on and on and on. And now we fast forward to Jesus's day. You see, even when Jesus was ministering, the temple in Jerusalem was still functioning as it was supposed to. God's holy presence only rested behind a veil. The veil separated a holy place from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was and God's presence resided, okay? So now in Jesus's day, he starts talking about the temple in reference to his own body. Check it out in John chapter two, verse 19. He says, in three days, well, actually, he says, destroy this temple, meaning his body, but they didn't see it. They didn't understand it. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will build it again. He was speaking to his resurrection, and he was speaking to what God wanted to do in every single man and woman who believed in Christ and followed him, is to become temples of God's presence. That is why, friends, the importance of the veil being torn. Good Friday goes, comes and goes every year. And so often we watch different Christian movies with the cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, and we're eating popcorn and we see the veil torn. And cinematography just can't produce what really happened, right? It will never be able to come close to the real thing. But we need to understand that when it was torn, it wasn't just torn from the bottom to the top, which could be done with several pairs of oxen, but from the top to the bottom was impossible. And yet when Jesus said it is finished, the work of his death for our 
penalty of sin was completely covered, forgiven, and cleansed. That veil that separated us from God's presence was torn in two. Guys, that is the power of the gospel of Jesus, that he loves us so much that we are worth the murder and the death of Jesus Christ to where now the holy presence of God is not bound to buildings or places or grounds. They don't host God's presence. You host God's presence. The person you're sitting next to is God's holy temple. How are you treating them? How do you respond to them? What about the person that's driving down 28 and passes you in a very unholy manner? (laughs) But they may be marked in a holy temple with God's presence in them. And if they're not, they are potential temples of the living God. We are to treat the potential temples just as we are to treat the holy temples with the spirit of God. So it leads us to a question. How do we treat people? Do we treat them with the same reverence that the Lord God has placed on them through the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you treat people who don't believe the way you do or vote the way that you do? Do you treat them as holy temples marked by the Holy Spirit? Because here's a takeaway for this, and I'm sorry, but we're going to step on some toes. The way we treat others does matter. Teens, students, the way you treat others at school matters because it is a reflection of how valuable we view the presence of God. Next question. Question three. This is a tough one. How can you navigate a sinful life living with someone? Uh, And I didn't add on there and, and having children with that you were living before you found Jesus. I find it difficult to believe Jesus would want to end a family under these circumstances. Okay, now we're getting real. Thank you, by the way, to that person who wrote that question to be vulnerable enough, to love our church enough, to wonder, what does the Bible say about this? Obviously, this person met Jesus just like Paul did on the Damascus Road when Paul was living a life of sin, trying to destroy Christians. Jesus came in his brokenness. Jesus came to this person's brokenness in the midst of what they were doing and didn't say, get your act together now before you get saved. He says, no, come to me. Let me change you. Let me love you. Let me put my spirit inside of you. And let's walk this road together. And so I, w- I want to be very sensitive. I want to be very sensitive. I, I'm a person that doesn't just go black and white all the time. I don't just say, well, the word of God says, no, you shouldn't be do this. No. Well, the Bible also says to take the log out of your own eye before you point out someone's little sliver in theirs. We need to understand that everyone's story, especially in this question, is before they came to a relationship and their knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to be sensitive to people's backgrounds. I'm not saying condoning sinful behavior, but this is a person who's trying to pursue Jesus, right? 
They're actually trying to figure out if they're in the wrong here and if they're hindering Jesus. What are they supposed to do? Okay? So let's be very sensitive to that. And I'm going to do that because I cannot just, I mean, I'm up here giving you a general answer for a very personalized question. So I'd love to talk to anybody who finds themselves in a situation like this, anyone. Love to sit down with you and talk to you. And I'm sure every question up here represents at least five or more people that have the same question. And so I wanna answer this as tenderly and compassionately, but as clearly to the truth of God as I can. So I'd like to start with the story that many of you know is in Jesus's ministry, he's ministering in a town and all of a sudden the Pharisees who are always trying to trap him so that they can accuse him of being false, false prophet, the false son of God, a blasphemy. They bring a woman in that day who was a prostitute caught in adultery, meaning cheating on her husband with other men. And they threw her down at Jesus's feet. Now I need for all of us to understand one thing in this culture. This was a sin that was punishable by death. And who killed, who did the death sentence? It was the Jewish people. Imagine that. So they all surrounded her and Jesus being the Jewish rabbi, calling himself the son of God, he would be the very first one to fulfill the law, wouldn't he? So they're waiting for him to cast the first stone. They're all, just imagine this woman here. She is guilty. She knows she's wrong. She knows she's doomed. She knows she's been caught. And she's broken and a mess. She's defiled. No one's even supposed to come close to her. And we think social distancing is a problem. You know, they can't get near her because of her sin. And Jesus just stands right around her and protects her from the sin. All around are people ready to bring her accusation and bring her punishment to fruition. And he bends down in front of her to protect her and he writes something in the sand to this day. We don't know what it was. But then he said to all of the accusers, for any person who has never sinned in their life, go ahead, cast the stone at her. Who was the only one that's never sinned? Jesus. What did he do? He took the rock. No, he didn't. He said, my daughter, look around. Where are your accusers? She looked up and they were all gone. All she saw was the stones that represented the punishment that was coming. He says, no longer do I accuse you? You are forgiven, cleansed, new. And in that moment, I believe that she was changed and she was touched in a powerful way. And he says, now, don't go and live the same life you were living. Live as a changed woman who just met the Messiah. So I believe that one of the key gospel messages here, friends, is that Jesus is all about restoring that which was broken. How many have brokenness in their life? Jesus wants to repair and restore everything in our lives broken, even 
families. That's his desire. That's his design is, is to, to seek that which was lost, that which is broken, and bring it to full restoration and wholeness. That's the power of what Jesus did on the cross. And so I would answer very clearly to this person, not knowing them, I would answer this. Look, you obviously have been committed to this person before you had a relationship with Jesus. Something was working well. You had children with this person. Obviously, you love them. You're in a commitment to the children and to this partner. And I would say at this point, be faithful where God has planted you. Now, there are some exceptions. If your partner does not want to have anything to do with Christ at this point, and he is demanding you that you reject Christ and from raising your kids in a biblical manner, then that's a huge red flag and you need to figure out what you're going to choose to live with. Either devotion to Christ or devotion to the ways of the world and peer pressure. That is going to be a problem when you're unequally yoked like that. But in this situation, you need to be faithful where God has you. And I would even tell you, you've gotten this far. You still love each other. And as long as Christ is welcome to dwell in your home through that one person's faith, then you need to pursue a biblical covenant marriage. Now, in some states, they would already be married, legally married, okay? But there needs to be a vow. If you're committed and you're gonna stay faithful where you are, I would really pursue marriage. I would love to sit down with you and your partner. I would love to talk about this. So when a believer is in the home of children and their either spouse or significant other, the Bible says that their family is sanctified. They are doesn't mean saved. Saved is through a personal decision to follow Jesus. But sanctified means set apart for God's purposes. So get this, 1 Corinthians 7, 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. One Christian in a home graces the entire home. God's indwelling that believer and all the blessings and graces that flow from that believer flow over into the family. So here's a couple suggestions to people who find themselves in this predicament. If you are a believer, you know the power of prayer. Pray. Pray like you've never prayed before. Seek God's face. On Wednesday nights, if you are available between six and nine, come and seek God's presence. On Friday morning from 9.30 to 10.30, yes, shameless plug. Come and pray. Pray for your unbelieving partner. Pray for your kids. Ask the Lord to draw your partner through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict your partner of their sin and to show them Jesus. Watch what happens. Can I even ask... Just to take a, a poll, anyone who has a testimony that says, you know what, I was in a relationship or a marriage before I came to Christ, or I was, I was with an unbelieving partner, and through prayer, God restored that person. How many? Yeah, several. 
God does that. Now, I wouldn't enter a relationship just thinking you're a missionary to that person through a relationship. But every situation is different. Pray. I also would say, listen to the Holy Spirit. Or excuse me, I keep forgetting this one. Point your kids to Jesus by your example. Teach Jesus. It may be through your partner that sees Jesus and your kids come to say, whoa, yeah, this is real stuff. Also, listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you into all truth. Listen to the Holy Spirit and align yourself to the principles of Jesus. When you align yourselves to the principles of Jesus, the fruit that you produce in your home will be an evidence of Jesus. When you align yourself with the principles, the teachings, and the life model of Jesus... Your life will produce fruit that is the best witness of the gospel of good news to anybody watching. So stay faithful there. The next one, grow in Christ. Grow in the word of God and in the Holy Spirit because as you grow in Christ, as you grow in the word of God, and as you grow in the Holy Spirit, everyone watching, especially those closest to you, will see. We'll see the evidence of that and they will be changed and transformed by that. That's powerful, it's powerful. Model your real life change in Christ. Again, it's not what you're telling your partner. It's not what's tell- what you're telling your spouse, unbelieving spouse. It's not what you're telling your unbelieving kids. It's how you live. It's what you model because kids, let them see Jesus in you that you desire them to meet. Your unbelieving partner, unbelieving spouse, let them see the Jesus in you that you desire them to meet. Amen? Okay, question number four. If all sin, past, present, and future have all been forgiven, then what will each of us be judged for and on? And what is the judging for? (laughs) Let's try. There's two judgments. The first judgment is something that you should be thinking about day and night before you make the decision. It's the decision of who you decide to pay the penalty for your sin on this earth before you take your last breath physically. Who will take the throne of your life to cover the sin in your life because you will not be able to stay in the presence of God if you have not covered your sin by some answer. And there is only one answer, Jesus. I don't have to preach the gospel to you today. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life that we can stand before the judge and have the sentence of not guilty pronounced upon us. It's not your good looks. Some of you should be really thankful. (laughs) Kidding, kidding, Gotta, gotta get you to laugh a little bit. It's not your good works that will get you into heaven. It's not your family line, the wealth and the status that you come from. The only hope 
for our forgiveness of our sins is the shed blood of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus. That is the most important decision you will ever make. I take doing funeral services very seriously because it seems to be one of the only times that people slow down enough to think about life after this. I just wanna ask you, do, do you, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are truly forgiven and cleansed of all sin and will hear before God Almighty, not guilty? Or will you hear, son, daughter, child, I don't know you. Depart from me. That's a judgment you and I, every one of us, will face. But the result of that judgment comes from your decision now. The second judgment is for those who have been washed with the blood of Jesus, those who have been redeemed, saved, made new, temples of the living God. It is those who will have a second judgment And this judgment is not on salvation. That has already been settled. And we can find this scripture, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 3, okay? 1 Corinthians 3. Before that, in verses 11 through 13, it talks about the first judgment, meaning the rock or the foundation that you build your life upon, okay? Any foundation you build your life upon that's not Jesus is going to be sinking, standing, it's gonna fall short every time. Now, this judgment that, that uh, this question is referring to is the judgment of not our foundation. We're already in heaven. We're already in eternity in the presence of God. It is actually the way we built upon that foundation. What materials did you use to live out your life? This is where works do come into play. Works don't get you into heaven. But Jesus said, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Store up your treasures in heaven. The great commission, go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey the commandments I've given to you. And behold, I will be with you always. It is how you grow into the likeness of Jesus and the impact you make for the kingdom of God here, right now, that will be judged and either rewarded or not rewarded in heaven. Let's look at this. But on the judgment day, fire, not the, not the hell and brimstone fire, but fire is a refining word, refining word. It means it purifies and it gets to the core of what it truly is. But on the judgment day, band, you can come up by the way. Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. What do we do with that reward? All the rewards in heaven, it is gonna be the most privileged honor in the world. 
to kneel before your Savior and take all your treasures and say, to you alone be all the glory and honor. That is going to be our form of worship in heaven and all of eternity is the rewards that we store up today by advancing the kingdom of God, by being obedient to what Christ has done and by impacting and loving others, planting kingdom of God seeds everywhere. We will be rewarded greatly. And those rewards we get to hand and lay down at the king of king's feet. However, if the work is burned up, meaning it has no eternal value, just worldly, earthly value, the builder will suffer great loss. Now, this doesn't mean going to hell because what does it next say? It says the builder will be saved because their foundation was Christ, right? But like someone who barely escaped through a wall of flames, you were saved by the grace of Jesus, but you did absolutely nothing with it. We need to have an eternal perspective, friends, that will determine and dictate how we live our lives. It's not legalism. It's treasures in heaven. If you want more information, you can go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25 Ministries locally here in Cincinnati based their life, their ministry mission on this passage where it's the parable of the five talents. What God has given you, a great precious gift, he doesn't just ask you to use it and put it to good use. He expects you to because he knows the reward you will receive will be your worship and adoration in heaven. So would you bow your head? I just want to ask you a question. Simple question. Number one. What is the hope and the foundation your life is anchored in? Is it in the hope of Jesus Christ, the person and the death and the acts, the works of Jesus? Or is it just your own merit? You just hanging on, on luck? <laughs> what is it? When you literally stand before the judge, God Almighty, one day, hopefully later than sooner, what will your account be able to say to answer for the sin in your life? Is it, I got nothing. I did, I did good things. I was good to people. I never got, never got put in jail, paid all my taxes. I was good to my neighbors. He's gonna say, I don't know you. Or are you gonna be able to say, Jesus, God, the Father, I'm a sinner, but I put all my hope in your son who died my death so that I could freely live. And he's gonna say, daughter, son, welcome home. Well, what are you gonna do when Jesus stands before you and starts to look at all the ways you lived out your life. Are the rewards that you're expecting going to be what you got out of this life, how you were comfortable, how you lived richly, 
how you prioritize the things of today? Or is it going to be that you lived your life to glorify and honor God in everything you do? I want you to sit in that for a minute. Because God does require our hearts to be pure before him. And we can always go to the cross and be cleansed and forgiven. But church, this is where the rubber meets the road. We really need to figure out, are we living for eternity? Or are we living for ourselves? Let's worship. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.